Fear is not bad. Fear is not good. I would argue that the most important thing about your fear is not is what are you fearing? Fear is not bad and fear is not good because there are unhealthy fears. There are unhelpful fears. Some unhelpful fears is the fear of going broke because then you would hoard your money and refuse to be generous. So another fear is the fear of missing out because then you would not live in the present moment and you'd be anxious about what you're missing in every situation. Another fear is the fear in parenting because it causes you to obsess over your children and parent out of anxiety, trying to control the uncontrollable. And there are some helpful fears. There's the fear of going 150 miles per hour in your car. That stops you from crashing. There's the fear of touching fire, which helps you from not getting burned. There's the fear of jumping into a lake when you don't know how to swim. There's helpful fears and there's unhelpful fears. I would argue that fear isn't bad and fear isn't good. It is what you fear that, most, that is most important. And what I would suggest that we fear the most is God. That we would have a healthy biblical fear of the Lord. Some of us might say, well, doesn't the Bible tell me not to fear? Isn't the Bible saying don't be afraid? And I would say you're absolutely right. The Bible does say don't be afraid. Actually, it's the most repeated command in all of the scriptures. It's repeated 365 times, one for every day of the year. It literally tells you do not fear, don't be afraid. And yet, the Bible also teaches that we ought to fear the Lord. Now, this does not mean that we ought to be afraid of God. The scriptures draw a distinction from being afraid of God and fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord is acknowledging that he is awe-inspiring. He is reverent and deserves the highest esteem. The fear of the Lord is seeing him for who he is, seeing us for who we are, noticing the difference and saying, whoa. The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. And the reason why we need the fear of the Lord is because where the presence of the Lord is, the fear of the Lord needs to be. I could argue, actually, that your uh, level of activity, the level of activity in your life from God is directly correlated to your fear of the Lord. I'm not sure what you've been taught about the fear of the Lord, but I want to tell you that the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It is a good thing to fear God. And some of us, we don't fear God because we are anxious that we might start interacting with God out of an improper motivation. You might be saying, well, if I fear God, doesn't that mean that I am anxious in my way to responding to him? And doesn't he want me to respond out of love? I would say yes. And I would also say that the grace of God and the fear of the Lord are not contradicting, friends. We need to grow in the fear of the Lord because there is a difference between being afraid of God and the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord recognizes he is who he is. I am who I am. There is a massive difference and I will fill the space with awe. It's not being afraid of God. 
It's having a reverence for seeing him exactly how he is. In a way, it is just this. The fear of the Lord comes from seeing God rightly. Some of us see God, but not rightly, and therefore we are afraid of him. Over the next few minutes, we're going to take a look at the scriptures to see how to view God rightly. You might say, well, how do I approach him? I would say this, with your jaw on the floor and with your arms open wide. Whoa. We are going to be uh, looking in a lot of scripture over the next couple minutes that we're together because I don't know how to describe God to you without the word of God. And so we're going to look at what the scriptures say about him to define him. Do you remember in Isaiah, when Isaiah was caught up and he was in the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6, and he finally sees God, the train of his robe fills the temple. He looks at himself, he looks at God, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, woe is me. I am completely undone. I am a man of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. I can't even look at him. Do you remember when John had the revelation in Revelation chapter 1 and he sees the Lord, a man, and he has this golden sash on him and light is actually emitting from him. It says he has eyes of fire and he has feet that are burnished bronze. His voice is like the voice of many rushing waters. And then it says that he is refined in a furnace and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was shining like the sun in full strength and when I saw him I fell at his feet as though I was dead do you remember in Daniel chapter 10 when Daniel was fasting and he was at the river Tigris and then it says in Daniel chapter 10 verse 9 then I heard the sound of these words and I heard the sound of his voice I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground and behold, the hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and on my knees. And he said to me, oh, Daniel, a man greatly loved. See, the fear of the Lord and love of God are not contradictory. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I've been sent to you. You see, understanding the fear of the Lord means that we understand that he is in fact terrifying but he is not terrible. He is in fact dangerous, but he is not dreadful. He is in fact severe, but he is not harmful. I love what C.S. Lewis describes him as in the Chronicles of Narnia. He creates Aslan, this character, as a type of Christ. And as we read in this story, it is, it, C.S. Lewis says this, Aslan is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought that he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe? Said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, he is a lion. And he is not a tame lion, but he is your lion. The fear of the Lord comes, and the reason sometimes that it leaves is because oftentimes fear of the Lord leaks. 
It can leak in two ways. It can leak in consistency and it can leak in time. The fear of the Lord can leak in consistency in the way that you find God so common and consistent in your life that you stop seeing him as special. And it can leak in time in that you've been a Christian for so long that you forgot that he is God. See, some of us might say, well, isn't God like our friend? Isn't God our comforter? Isn't God our father? Absolutely. And don't forget that he is also the alpha and the omega. Don't forget that he is the beginning and the end. He is the great I am. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is God. And God is big enough and God enough to be massively big and so intimately personal at the same time. He is God. And a helpful way for us to see this is by this, realizing in this church, we will refuse to see the divine casually because of time or because of consistency. Some ways that we actually prevent the fear of God from leaking out of our lives is that we simply do this. We see God as he is. And there are three ways where we can rightly see God. One is in his holiness. God is holy. And when you think holy, I do not want you to think, please resist the urge to think that holy simply means that he is a bigger, better version of you. That is not what God is, and that is not what holy is. He is not a big, strong, good, bright, loving version of you. He is something completely other than you. He is so big and so far beyond our, beyond our comprehension. Holy means that he is completely uninfluenceable. That he cannot be influenced by anything outside of himself unless he decides to be. That he is so big that nothing can actually even approach him unless he lets it approach him. He is so pure that there is nothing besides him that makes him him. He is a community all in of himself. The Father, Son, and Spirit, they are holy. And not just holy, but they're righteous. God is righteous, which means that he is right all the time, that he is good all the time. He is just all the time. He is so much more good than us that he defines good. He said that your best good is like filthy rags to me. And he's not just righteous and he's not just holy, but at the center of who he is, which everything revolves around, he is in fact loving and so loving that he would sacrifice himself for your good. He is so intimately committed to you and pursuing you and committed to the best in your life, which is himself, that he gave himself for you, that you would have a relationship with him. Listen, it's so important that we understand that God is holy, that he is righteous, and that he is loving. Because if God is not holy, he is nothing other than me. If God is not righteous, he is nothing greater than me. And if God is not loving, he is nothing more lovely than me. We need to see God as he is, rightly, to have the fear of the Lord. Worship creates a space for the presence of God to come. And I believe the fear of the Lord creates a place for the presence of God to stay. 
How many times have you come into church, experienced a moment like we're in right now, left church, and then had to wait till next week to experience it again? The fear of the Lord will insulate the presence of God in your life. I want to bring you into a point of scripture that I never noticed before. We're going to read a lot in Exodus over these next couple minutes. And this is a portion of scripture that I read, but I didn't really understand until I read it again this past week. It's this reality that in Exodus chapter 19, this is after Israel had come from Egypt. They had left. Now they've been delivered. They come through the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness and they're heading towards the promised land. And if I asked you a question, said, where is God taking Israel? Most of us would say the promised land, Canaan. That's not true. Exodus chapter 19 verse 4 teaches us that God is not taking Israel out of Egypt to take them to Canaan. He's taking Israel out of Egypt to take them to himself. Listen, Exodus chapter 19 verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, Israel was brought to God on eagles' wings, brought to God himself, not just brought to the promised land. Israel was freed, not unto freedom. Israel was freed unto knowing God. That's why they were freed. Israel was not just set free from their bondage because God loves them so much, wants to bless them, and hates when they're in pain, although that's true. God set Israel free from bondage and freed them from their pain so that they could meet him, not so that they could go into the promised land. See, God ultimately saves you so that you can meet him, so that he can bring you to himself. And and, and salvation, see, this is a salvation, what we're talking about here. This is why so much of the scriptures refer to the Exodus, because this was their salvation, I mean, what else do you call it when a person or a people are underneath a power that they can't free themselves from? They're stuck in a situation that they want to be out of. They are taken by somebody greater than themselves out of their situation and then brought through something into a place where they will be forever in a place of blessing. What do you call that but a salvation? See, Israel had a type of salvation in this moment, but resist the urge to think that this is only a salvation. God is not merely saving Israel. He is forming Israel. See, the Exodus, it is not less than a salvation, but it is certainly more than a salvation. And some of us stop our Christianity far too short to think that God just wanted to save me, to free me from my pain. Trust me, friend, he did want you to stop having pain and he wanted so much more for you than that. He wants to introduce you to himself. Yahweh rescued Israel, not just so that they could be free, but they could be free unto him. Exodus chapter 15, verse, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all of the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that, I will, that you should speak to Israel. God called Israel to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood. 
And what happened is that Israel, because they did not fear God and they were afraid of God, they never became what they were supposed to be. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, you will never be who you are ultimately intended to be. And if we don't have the fear of the Lord, we will never be what we are ultimately intended to be. God called Israel to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. All of them, were they that? No, not fully. What Israel was called to be was a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. What Israel ended up being was an unholy nation with kings and priests. Without the fear of the Lord, you will never be what you are ultimately intended to be. Exodus chapter 19, verse 17. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. This is so important because we see the language that this is the first time that Israel in this generation is going to meet God. This, mind you, is after the exodus. Israel has already been delivered. They've already been set free from Egypt. They've already passed through the Red Sea. They've already been saved. And yet, Exodus 19, 17 tells us that they are now on their way to meet God. According to God, they were saved, delivered, set free from their bondage, and still a stranger to him. I hope you know that I'm not just talking about Israel right now. You can be saved, delivered, set free from your bondage, and still be a stranger to God. He says, I don't know you. You don't know me. This is not just a salvation, friends. This is a formation. This is after the exodus. You can be saved, set free, experience blessings, experience miracles, be in church, and still not know God. He says, I want to meet you. It says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 18 and 19, now all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking and the people were afraid and they trembled. Then they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let us, not let God speak to us lest we die. See, God was trying to meet Israel and they said no. Because they were afraid of him. And granted, this is a terrifying sight. You approach this mountain after this God has just done all of these plagues and can do whatever he wants, opens the sea, crushes an entire nation, and then he comes and brings you to a mountain that is smoking, shaking, fire, and his voice, and he says, yeah, come here. It's terrifying. I get it. And what happens is that Israel says, no, 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 no. We don't want to talk to him. Moses, you go talk to him. You tell us what he says, and we'll just do whatever you say. Can you imagine God inviting you to meet him and you saying no? I hope you can, because you do that all the time. I do that all the time. I am invited to meet with God, and I say no all of the time. When you look at the scriptures, it's really important to consider that you are more than often not the hero. Bible tip. 
Some of us like to see ourselves as Moses. Oh yeah, I'm Moses. I want to be close to God. No, no, no. You're probably Israel. And probably at worst, we might be Egypt. When we look at the scriptures, we are not the hero, my friends. Sometimes we are the ones who, most of the time, we're the ones who need saving. And at worst, we're the ones who are God's enemy. He says, come and meet me. They say, no, Moses, you talk to him. We don't want to. You just tell us what he says and we'll do whatever you say. They said, we don't want to meet God. And this, honestly, when I read it every single time, it breaks my heart. Because of this, Because God takes Israel and he raises up Moses and he sends the plagues and he does Passover and he delivers them from Egypt and then he opens the Red Sea and then he crushes Egypt and then he brings them into the wilderness and then he gives them manna and he brings water from a rock and then he gives them his spirit through the fire and a cloud in the sky and then he says now come to me and they say no and I can only hear God saying but I did all of that for you said I could meet you wait Did you not know that I did everything I just did so that we could meet? No. Moses can meet you. We'll do whatever Moses says. We don't want to meet you. And I can only consider the father looking at Israel and saying, this was all for you so that you and I could be in relationship." They looked at God who wanted to meet them and said, no, we'll have Moses tell us about him instead. How many of us have the opportunity to meet God and settle for somebody else telling us about him? He wants to meet you. The fear of the Lord draws you towards God while being afraid of God makes you run away from him. We don't want to meet you, God. Let Moses tell us instead. And if I could pass to you for just a second, your relationship with God is your responsibility. My job is not to have a relationship with God for you. My job is to equip you, and it is your job to have a relationship with God. I cannot love God for you. I cannot draw near to God for you. That is your responsibility, and it really breaks my heart because there are many of us who live our Christian lives off of secondhand revelation. You tell me what God says. My relationship with God is based off of your relationship with God. Some of us really wait for me to tell you about your relationship with God. When he, listen to me, he wants to meet you. He brought you on eagle's wings, not to take you to Canaan, but to bring you to himself. And some of us are saying, no thanks. 
The fear of the Lord draws you to him. While being afraid of God draws you away from him. And the scary reality is this, that God will sometimes give you what you want. No thanks. He says, okay. You were called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And now you're an unholy nation with a few kings and a few priests. The fear of the Lord ensures that you will be all that God intends for you to be. While being afraid of God makes sure that you will never be all that you are intended to be. Friend, there is so much more in your Christian life than somebody telling you about God. James says this, he says, if you draw near to God, then God will draw near to you. Which tells me that you currently are as close to God as you want to be. He is already drawn near to you. And he wants to meet you. And the fear of the Lord draws us to meet him. It's a reverence. It's seeing who he is, who we are, seeing the difference and saying, whoa. Whoa. Israel was afraid of God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you so that you may not sin. Moses sounds almost contradictory here because he's saying, don't be afraid. God is coming to see if you're afraid. If you look at it at face value, this seems like Moses is going crazy, but Moses is drawing the distinction between being afraid of God and having the fear of the Lord. We, in order to rightly fear God, this is why God asks this before they go into the promised land, is because before we can rightly fear God and see him as he is, we need to be detoxed of all other fears. Israel still had too much of Egypt in them. So the Lord comes to them and says, we need to make sure that gets out of you. You need to be detoxed of your current fears so that you may fear me. I love the sauna and it's this place where I oftentimes have my quiet time with the Lord and it's horrible because it's like 25 minutes and 175 degrees and you want to die in there. And I love the sauna because it's so healthy for your body, like your anaerobic state, your heart, your circulation, you end up sweating out so much of what's not supposed to be in you. It's so healthy for you. And if you've ever been in a sauna, you've realized that there are certain things that belong in the heat and certain things that don't belong in the heat. You ever brought like a necklace, a metal necklace into a sauna? You'll be leaning over. You'll lean up, ah, right? And it just touches you. That thing burns you, right? Or, or you ever been in the place where you bring your phone into the heat and then you're on your phone for like three minutes and it says, 
temperature warning, right? Need to reduce the temperature. Your phone can't even operate. I've realized that inside of a sauna, there are certain things that ought to be in the heat and certain things that ought not to be in the heat. If in the worst case, it can touch you and it can burn you, in the best case, it just starts to malfunction. I hope you know I'm speaking about your life spiritually. When you come into a hot place, God needs to detox you of all other fears because there are some things that you have brought into your sauna season that ought not be on you and you're being burned by these things and you're blaming God for the issues and God is saying son daughter I'm not intending to burn you I'm intending to burn things off of you and you need to be detoxed of all other fears before you can fear me rightly Israel still had too much of Egypt in them. They had other fears in them. And because they had other fears in them, they couldn't rightly see God. Why did they have other fears in them? Because Israel went through generations of slavery and trauma and abuse and bondage. And do you know what bondage does? It shifts your fears. You know that in your personal life. Bondage, your past bondage, your current bondage, it shifts what you're afraid of. Israel grew new fears. They were no, they used to be afraid, they used to have the fear of the Lord, now they didn't. Why? Because of their bondage and the Lord is saying, I need to get that out of you before you can interact with me and see me rightly. Daniel chapter 3, there's a story of Three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three Hebrew boys were taken from their home in exile to Babylon under this ruthless king named Nebuchadnezzar, who was so vain and self-absorbed that he built a golden statue to himself and said, everybody in my city, when you hear the song, you need to look at the statue, fall down to your knees, and worship. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego said, we're not going to do that. We worship Yahweh. We worship the one and true God. We're not going to do it. He said, hey, if you don't do it, I'm going to burn you alive. I'm going to throw you into a fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say the hardest line ever. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. For our God can save us. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. Nebuchadnezzar gets wind of this and he says, all right, I'm going to call your bluff. He turns up the furnace seven times hotter, throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. Then he looks into the furnace and he sees that they used to be bound. Now they're not bound. There used to be three. Now there's four. One of them looks like the son of man. He pulls them out of the furnace and it says in the scriptures, everything that they were shackled with was burned off. And listen, not a hair on their head was singed. Why is that important? Because this. Nebuchadnezzar thought that that was his fire. Nebuchadnezzar's fire was meant to burn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's fire. That was Yahweh's fire. And Yahweh's fire is never meant to burn you. It's meant to burn things off of you. So what happens is they walk into the fire bound and they walk out of the fire loose. Not a hair on their head was singed. Why? Because that wasn't Nebuchadnezzar's fire. That was Yahweh's fire. And some of us, we, I know, are in a fire and we desperately want to get out. 
We want the burning to stop. And I want to encourage you, if you're being burned, it is not you. It is idols that have clung far too closely to you. What is it about us that always wants to shape our own deliverance? We want to get out of the fire because it's hot when God is saying, no, 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 no. Stay in the fire because I am detoxing you of all other fears so that you might fear me and see me rightly. He said, come to me and don't be afraid. I'm here to see if the fear of the Lord is in you. Yahweh knew that their fear had shifted. And always the lesser fears, what they do is they always take from us, they never give to us. And some things they take from us is the lesser fear, the Egypt fear, the fear that we've learned that isn't the fear of God says this. It teaches us two things. One, it teaches us distance spiritually. Two, it teaches us self-sufficiency relationally. Lesser fears always teach you to believe that I can't trust God and I can't trust people. Distance spiritually. God, we don't want to be close to you. Distance relationally. I don't want to be close to your people. Those are what the lesser fears always teach you. And I would encourage you, friend, those fears might have served you at one point in your season, but not anymore. Let the fear of the Lord protect you. It is a greater fear, and it will only give to you. It will detox you of all other fears so that you might see him rightly. And it's interesting because, as I close, Moses and Israel were both afraid of God at some point. Yet, Moses went up the mountain. They all saw the same thing, yet Moses was the only one who approached God. And I consider, like, what was the difference? Why was Moses able to have the fear of the Lord, and why was Israel afraid of God? I want to give you a painfully simple answer. That Moses met God. That's it. That Moses had met God, and Israel hadn't. So Moses had the fear of the Lord, and Israel was afraid of him. I'll show it to you. Exodus chapter 3, this is the burning bush account. Remember when Moses first encounters God? Burning bush, he's being a shepherd and all of a sudden he's walking by and he sees this bush that's burning but it's not consumed for some reason so he turns aside to see it. As he turns aside to see it, it says in Exodus chapter 3 that he actually became afraid. He hid his face. He didn't know what was happening. All he knew is that he was scared. Then Exodus chapter 3 is this whole chapter of Moses and God talking. God saying, go do this. God, Moses saying, no, but what if they don't listen to me? But well, I'm not strong enough. Giving all these excuses for so many so many verses. Then we get to Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. And it says this, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, the God, then they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? The God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said to him, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The God, then God said to Moses, uh, I am his sin of you. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am able to be remembered throughout all generations. 
God introduced himself to Moses and Moses met God. This is the first time I've been using the word Yahweh. That is a term for God, actually where we get it here. I am is this term that is so holy that some people don't even want to utter it. It is God describing himself to man to say, you can't even really comprehend who I am, but just know I am, I was, and I always will be. That's who I am. I am Yahweh. That's who I am. Moses meets God and all of a sudden Moses's fears are changed. Have you noticed that as soon as you get around the holiness of God, your fears start to shift. God says to Moses, this bush is burning. It's not being consumed. And then he says, take off your sandals for the ground that you're standing is holy ground. Isn't that interesting that the bush was holy and it made the ground holy. Most of your Christian life is not a command that you follow from God. It's a repercussion of your relationship with God. So God says to you, be holy as I am holy. You say, great, I'll be a better person. No, God says, get close to me because your relationship to God is a repercussion of how near you are to him. So if you're not holy, you must not be near his holiness. It became holy all around him. So he takes off his sandals. And Pastor Tiffany and I were talking in between services. And he, she said, isn't it so interesting that the bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed? I said, why? She said, because God's fire doesn't need fuel. She said, God's fire burns all by itself. I don't need to burn anything except for what I want to burn. That's why it can burn the shackles off of you and not burn you. That's why I can burn the things on the inside of you and not burn you. God's fire chooses what it wants to burn. Therefore, the bush wasn't consumed. His fire is a holy fire. Moses' fears are changed all of a sudden. And then if you see Exodus chapter 3, I'm afraid of God. I meet God. Exodus chapter 20, now I'm willing to go up to the mountain. Exodus chapter 33, Moses, when he first met God, hid his face from him. And then all of a sudden, do you remember what Moses asks God in Exodus chapter 33? Yahweh would... Can you show me your face? How did Moses get from hiding his face from God to asking to see God's face? Except for the fear of the Lord. Why? Because the fear of the Lord draws you to God. Being afraid of God draws you away from him. All of a sudden he says, God, I want to see your face. God says, that's cute. (laughs) I can't do that. If you do, then you'll die. And I need you for a little bit longer, but I will show you my glory. He hides him in the cleft of the rock. He sees Yahweh. And what I want to encourage you today is even though Moses had the opportunity to ask God to see his face, we now are in the new covenant. And do you remember in John chapter 14 when Jesus is with his best friends and Philip looks at him and he says, hey Jesus, he has the same question Moses asked. Hey Jesus, can you show us the Father? And Jesus looks at him and he says, don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? 
And what is the fear of the Lord if not seeing God rightly? And now listen to me. We are in the new covenant and we no longer need to ask Moses to show us the Father. We now get to ask the Holy Spirit to show us Jesus. (laughs) And when we see him, we see the Father. And when we see the Father rightly, we get the fear of the Lord. Friends, he is terrifying, but he is not terrible. He is dangerous, but he is not dreadful. He is severe, but he is not harmful. He is a lion, but he is your lion.